Selling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. It's time to take you behind the scenes in Smashville. Yoshi slides it in, and the Predators win it overtime. This is the Preds official podcast with Thomas Willis and Brooks Bratton. Brought to you by Two Rivers Ford, home of the non-commissioned salespeople on Smashville's best sports talk. ESPN. 102.5 The Game. Hey, Smashville, Preds fans, whatever you like to call yourself, loyal listeners of the POP, the Preds official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford. We thank you for joining us for episode 131 of the show. Here's one fun one for you. The final episode of the 2021 regular season. As we record the Nashville Predators, two points on the magic, tragic number scale. More on that in a moment right on the cusp of clinching their seventh consecutive playoff berth. But we can't say for sure as of this recording, so we can at least say the final recording of the regular season of this season. I welcome Brooks Braden of NashvillePredators.com alongside. I'm Thomas Willis. Producer Max, I think this may be one of our longest stretches of consecutive shows of the three of us all together as we bring you into this episode. Brooks, fresh off a trip from Columbus, where the Predators picked up one of two games. They did, and you want to talk about being together, and or at least being together virtually, but still working from home. We've got the full scope of outdoor noises today. I have already had to retreat into my bathroom once as we spoke to our guest to avoid a leaf blower outside, and uh, hoping I don't... <laughs> have to do that much longer but if you hear a leaf blower if you hear some construction equipment there's a lot going on at the old apartment complex today that's right toronto fans that was a thinly veiled shot at the leafs getting blown away in the first round of the playoffs <laughs> you heard it here first from brooks bratton wow I, I i mean i'm just that was good i'm just calling I was wondering, them, i'm calling I was wondering them like if anyone would pick up on it yeah exactly well i just you know for the subtlety of it i wanted to point that out so um, the Predators, another interesting week when it comes to the way that the games were scheduled. They play on Monday, Wednesday, and then they have off until Saturday and Monday where they will play their final two games of the regular season, both against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, full disclosure, we're recording on a Thursday because Max wanted to do that, so we always oblige what he wants to do. And besides <laughs> the fact that even if we had recorded on a Friday, we would not have one piece of information which we're waiting to see, which is... With the Dallas Stars falling in regulation on Wednesday and Nashville doing the same, the number drops to two for the number of points that the Predators need to make up to clinch their playoff berth. So that means if the Stars were to lose to the Lightning again, as they did on Wednesday, on Friday night, the Predators will be officially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, From then, their next chance would be to clinch themselves with a victory over the Hurricanes on Saturday night. So we'll touch on that a little bit. As Brooks said, we have already interviewed um, our guest for the week. He is TSN Hockey Insider and Senior NHL Columnist. I can't say that word, Columnist, for The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun. Uh, We'll touch on that in our next segment, segment two, and then we'll answer your Twitter questions as well. But as I said, for the Predators, it's been overtime victories. That has been the key and the game of the season. Our last episode, we were we recorded just before it. That was Nashville and Dallas, their final head-to-head meeting of the season. We touched on just how significant that was with those two teams in fourth place and fifth place in the Central Division and how a win you know, could certainly give the driver's seat to one of them. It was Nashville that was able to do so after we entered into overtime 0-0. to zero. 
Duchesne tried to get it to Howla, but it was blocked. And the Stars come back now looking for Como, stretching out at the blue line. Here is Ekholm down the left wing. Ekholm goes behind the net, taking a wraparound, and it's tipped in the net. Eric Howla is there, and the Predators win in overtime. Brooks, you were there. Even in that small clip, you could hear the impact of the home crowd. The Predators players and coach head coach John Hines were highly complimentary of what they called you know, the loudest and most normal, in a sense, of a home game that they've had this entire season, much like we're accustomed to from the Predators' traditional home ice advantage at Bridgestone Arena. I was there. 5,000, over 5,000 fans were there. There may have even been a columnist or two in attendance. And for the Nashville Predators, what a win for them to triumph over the Dallas Stars. We played it up so much on the last episode, but it really was the biggest game of the season. And I tweeted a picture uh, after that game on Saturday and said, gosh, it sure sounds like there's 17,159 people in here. I mean, I I did not know that 5,000 people could be that loud. And I think it really made a difference. And it was just cool to see too, because we've gone almost essentially the entire season with limited to no fans, no matter whether it's at home or on the road. And it's been really good to have some folks back in the building. And especially in that one, uh, that that made a difference. And I, I would argue one of, if not the most entertaining one, nothing games that I've ever seen in, in my life. I mean, that was, that was something you might look at the score and be like, Oh, one, nothing really. But it was, it was tense. It was certainly, it had a playoff like feel to it. And I think something else too, you talk about how big of a game that was, the Predators went to Columbus and they, you know, they kind of had to build it up a little bit to say like, well, so, so these aren't important. Like, mm-hmm. no, like every game is important right now. And just because we triumphed and, and found a way to get it done and that really important game, now you've got two more against the Blue Jackets here. So you go into that first one on Monday night, Roman Yossi had two goals and the second one had to be the game winner in overtime after Nashville surrendered three in the third period after entering with a three, nothing lead. But the captain and the Preds found a way to get that one done as well. Yossi passes the puck up the left side. Here's Yarncroak. Now the pass to Howla. Howla goes behind the back to Yarncroak. Back to Howla. Howla turns. Yossi from the circle. He scores! Roman Yossi scores in overtime. And the Predators take it 4-3. Roman Yossi with the cruise missile just inside the far post. Following it up. Of course, Hollow was there to make that play. That's a huge goal and a huge point for the Preds finding a way to get it done. So you hear the significance, especially of Eric Halla, the last two victories for the Predators, getting the overtime game-winning goal and then being on the ice and a factor into Yossi's game-winner in the first game in Columbus. The Predators beat the Stars for the fifth time past regulation. So I think it was twice in a shootout and three times in overtime. Maybe I have that backwards three times in a shootout, twice in overtime. It actually means the Stars had more points out of the season series than Nashville did, but especially in that particular moment um, to separate themselves by three points at the time, getting that extra point in overtime was huge. And like you said, Brooks, going into those two games in Columbus, they had played fewer games than Detroit, but technically they were in last place in the Central Division. But Coach Hines and then his players saying several times, like, we can't undo the good that we just did at home against Dallas by taking these games for granted and assuming that we're going to be able to beat this team. And I don't think per se that was the reason why they 
lost the lead the way that they did on Monday night and had to win in overtime. Um, but that is the way that it worked out. And then at that same moment, because both games started at 6 p.m. Central, the Stars were in Florida. They came back in the third period, scoring two goals against the Panthers to force overtime themselves. And I want to say within 20 seconds of each other in real time, the Predators won in overtime. The Panthers continued to win and won in overtime against the Stars as well. That separated the two teams a little bit further as well. Um, Unfortunately, the position was right there on Wednesday for Nashville to clinch their postseason berth with the Stars losing in regulation. That was one of the two things that needed to happen. The second was defeating the Blue Jackets in uh, any fashion. It was a 2-2 game with roughly seven minutes left. And despite the fact the Preds had not trailed at that point, they'd had two different one-goal leads. Coach Hines would say following the contest, he felt like the second-chance opportunities, that the offense itself, that just the Predators weren't exactly at that notch that they needed to be uh, to win that game, and they ultimately fall after an empty netter 4-2. to two. Here's a few more comments from Coach Hines. Yeah, you know, I don't I, I don't talk to the team a lot after, after losses. I think it's important that... Uh... You know, you're able to collect your thoughts and, and really deliver the right message. But, you know, it's hard to get into the playoffs. It's 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 you know, we have to we have to do a job. So, you know, I think like everything we've talked about, when you play big games, there's tough losses. Is this a tough loss? Yeah, we all feel it. But, you know, it's how you're going to be able to respond to this and then responding to it and getting ready. I think the schedule sets up where we get an opportunity to to, to get away from it tomorrow. And then we, we also have a really good day on Friday to practice and have some meetings and get ready to go and you know, the next game is the most important game and that's going to be on Saturday. So, you know, it's really no different um, in any other situation is if you get too low, it can sit with you. If you get too high, it's, it's too much. It's really about let's get ready for Saturday here and take the lessons out of this game and we got to be better. Brooks, you were there in Columbus, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I I'm eager to hear your thoughts on the contest and then as well, a surprise lineup to some extent. We saw several new players re-enter the lineup across those two games. Uh, a bit of a different look, especially on, on Wednesday night in the four to two loss. Indeed, yeah. And Colton Sissons had missed that game on Monday and was day to day with an injury. He gets back in there on Wednesday, and Dante Fabro returns as well. We hadn't seen him in, in a few weeks dealing with his respective injury. Of course, there's so many throughout the Predators lineup. So many guys have been banged up throughout the season. So he comes back in along with Ben Harper and Eric Branson and Matt Benning are scratched. Thomas, and we've seen this in years past. I don't know that that was necessarily as much of a we don't like the way you're playing as you want to start getting some other guys back into the lineup as well. You don't want guys sitting there too long. And, I, you know, I think you've seen it, especially in years maybe where the Predators have, have already clinched or they're in. They know they really don't have to worry about what's going on that much. But I still feel like you want to get some guys in and out of the lineup in these next couple, if you can. I mean, if the Predators are able to clinch on Friday mm-hmm. without playing, and you can essentially not blow off these Carolina games, but they're maybe not as important as far as you want your best players out there on both nights to try to win and and score as many goals as you can, that sort of thing. Maybe you do get a couple guys rotating in, I think maybe as we saw in Columbus. So anyway, to go back to Wednesday night and you heard coach Hines's comments, I think it's important to remember too. And, and Colton Sissons, Tanner Janot said this after the game that, 
it was a little too back and forth, maybe a little more back and forth than they would have liked to have played that kind of game, the Predators, because Columbus is a really good team in transition. They're good at creating a lot of odd man rushes, and they certainly capitalized on their chances when they had them against a very good goaltender, certainly in Yusuf Saros. But I think it's also important to remember, and Matthias Ekholm kind of alluded to this before Wednesday's game, and then Colton Sissons said it as much after the fact. Sissons was like, okay, well, yeah, we didn't clinch tonight, but like, this is still really exciting right now. It's it's tough to lose, and it would have been great to do it on Wednesday night. But the Predators are still going to have plenty of opportunities to clinch that spot, and it's still the most exciting time of the year. Matthias Ekholm was saying that you know we are so focused and dialed in on ourselves in this room. Yes, we know the situation that Dallas is in. We know that if they lose, that helps us and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the Predators went in the locker room you know, at the intermission and flipped on the TV and were glued to watching what the stars were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are, they're very much still in tune inside that room and, and doing what they need to do to get ready to not only win now, but then hopefully be at that level that they want to, if they are able to clinch that playoff spot. So I just think that's important to remember after, you know, a, a tough loss and John Hines said, you don't want to let it sit with you because that can be an issue. It's still important to remember that this is a really exciting time of the year. And two months ago, the Nashville Predators were not anywhere close to being in this situation. And all of a sudden here, if you would have told the Nashville Predators two months ago, hey, with four or five days left to go on the regular season, you'll have multiple chances to clinch a playoff spot. Of course you would have taken that. And that's where the Preds are right now. To touch on some of the injuries as well, it Feels like the Stars and Preds game was such a long time ago. Philip Forsberg, Alex Carey, and Brad Richardson all returned for that contest, all after each of them had been out for, I mean, a month or, or more. Um, Richardson specifically almost out two months uh, himself. So they all returned for that game. Philip Forsberg, of course, the most notable forward on this team right now. And Alex Carey, we incidentally spoke with Matthias Eckholm about him last week when he was on the show um, and was saying you know, how well he had seen him play alongside him. And that is what Coach Hines decides to do putting Ekholm and Carrier back together, moving Ellis back with Yossi. Um, and, and that's, I think, in part as well why you saw the roster tweak from Monday to Wednesday on the defensive side. Candidly, NHL teams do not like having two right shooting defensemen, two left shooting defensemen on a pair. And that's what Nashville's had for a while. Now that they've started to get a little bit healthier, you've seen Goodbranson and Benning both shooting right on the pairing, on the third pairing. And that comes for two reasons. One, and I think this is the primary reason, at least this is what I'm told, when you see a player, a defenseman, go from behind his own goal for that quick breakout pass, the chances are, if he's playing on that side with his off-shooting angle, that he's coming around the net the wrong way, right? So he's not on his forehand. He's having to come around on his backhand, which he shouldn't be because he should be shooting the other direction. And even that fraction of time, A, you're not as accurate on the backhand pass, but B, because you're not on your forehand, you're on your backhand instead, that makes a difference. It is even just that fraction a little bit easier for the offensive forechecking team to be able to pick off the pass, to be able to slow you down. So I think in part, at least, that's why you saw Harper – uh, go back into the lineup, and then you saw when Dante Fabro returned. Therefore, at least the Predators were balanced with three left-shooting mm-hmm. defensemen and three right-shooting defensemen. And then I think the forwards, we should touch on this at the end of the show when we answer some more fan questions, but that is going to be the question, I mean, for the rest of the season, I think, right? You saw Nick Cousins out. 
because of an illness, then he came back in, then he was back out again. I mean, where does he sit exactly? We've seen Rocco Grimaldi. I mean, he's been scratched for the last four games um, at this point. So is he a factor? Does he return? What do you see as you get even more of these players back? Um, and again, there's still a, there's still one other name in Mark Borvietsky, uh, who was a starter at the beginning of the season. He's you know still week to week at this point and on injured reserve. But if he were to return, would that be a factor? He, exam- for example, shoots left uh, as well. So I think the roster itself is going to be a question mark and before these games. And I wouldn't be surprised if you even see the Predators, for example, if they are to make the playoffs, have a lineup for game one and a different lineup for game two, depending on how the result goes. I think they're going to have that many, it looks like, healthy bodies after all of this season. It, we just kept saying, everybody's hurt, everybody's hurt. And now they actually are coming back and coming back at the time that you would want. The only other thing I was going to say is two months ago, and we'll touch on this with Pierre Lebrun coming up, depending on which website you looked at, the Predators had a fewer than 2% chance to make the playoffs. So, some have even <laughs> less than that. Some even have less than one, fewer than 1% to be able to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. So they, at this point, have the second most wins in the NHL since March the 15th with 18. They're right there with Colorado is the team who's in first, and they're you know, a Stanley Cup favorite depending on who you talk to. To have that kind of recovery, we've talked about it. We told listeners and you guys that this is what would have to happen, but by no means did we know that it would. By no means did we know that it was the likely outcome in the end that that would be what occurred. And like you said, uh, to close on the – on the clinching scenarios, the Predators have to make up two points. They can do that any way they want to at this point because they would win the tiebreakers. And so that means two points. What's the easy way to do that? Win your games. The Predators win either of their games against the Hurricanes. Great, they're in. It does not matter what the Stars do. But it is also the Stars failing to gain points. So that's why we talked about the potential loss to the Lightning. So even if the Stars were to lose in overtime over two games and fail to get the full four points in that way and instead only get two, that would work. And so the schedule, the Stars have three games remaining. The Preds have two, as I've said multiple times. And the Predators are actually going to have opportunities to be able to clinch coming up because the Stars play on Friday and then the Preds play on Saturday, then the Stars play on Sunday, and then both teams play on Monday to wrap up the regular season. So we're going to be going back and forth, back and forth, depending on if those two points are not secured in some fashion about Nashville being able to clinch a postseason berth. But it's funny how quickly you get accustomed to over the last week, yeah, they're going to make it, and here's the scenarios when just two months ago, not that long at all, I mean, again, a a fewer than 2% chance to be able to do it. It's a good conversation to have to have, and as we've said many times, it could happen on Friday if Dallas loses to Tampa Bay, and if not, you've got Carolina coming up. And regardless, boy, would you like to get at least one win against mm-hmm. Carolina because mm-hmm. if the Predators do get in, it's almost certain to be their first-round opponent, and they have not beaten the Carolina Hurricanes yet this season. 97% chance to face the Hurricanes as we record. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. I'm telling you there's a pretty big chance even. <laughs> so yeah, a couple of big ones at Bridgestone Arena, Saturday and Monday. The Predators host the Carolina Hurricanes to close out the 2020-21 regular season. And it's an exciting time. And quickly, I did want to mention real quick before we get to Pierre. Thomas, the fact that we're even here, the fact that we've even gotten to this point, mm-hmm. when the NHL said in January, okay, we're going to play 56 games and the playoffs are going to start in May. 
there was no guarantee that we were going to get there or that that was going to happen. The fact that we've even made it to this point is pretty darn impressive. And that's just a kudos to everybody behind the scenes who, who has worked to make these kind of things happen, especially to the folks, the men and women who have been with us all season, testing us every day and, and helping us out with protocols and, and traveling with us, the folks from BioReference. A huge shout out to them for keeping us safe as well. Um, had a, had a lot of tests done, had a lot of Q-tips up my nose, and uh, and, and those folks do a great job with everything. So kind of like a, a few extra members of the team this season. So quick shout out to them and, and just the fact that we've got here. Thomas, you know me. I'm very uh, I'm a very emotional person when it comes to reminiscing and looking back over time and uh, the fact that we, you know, to borrow from Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20, let's look how far we've come from January to May the 6th as we record. So just a quick little look back. What a note to end it on. We've mentioned his name several times already in this first segment. Let's actually talk to him. NHL insider Pierre Lebrun coming up next on the Preds Official Podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 1025. Hi, I'm Matt Duchesne, and most of you know I'm a husband, father, proud Nashville Predator, and a huge music fan. But what you might not know is that I'm also a total Ford guy, and my dealership is Two Rivers Ford. I chose Two Rivers because they're honest, upfront, and easy to do business with. They also have non-commissioned salespeople, which is great. I figured when a local business has been around for almost four decades, they must be doing something right, eh? So if you're ready for a new Ford, definitely go see my friends at Two Rivers Ford. Preds official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 1025. The game is streaming right now on the game Nashville app. For more about the show, NashvillePredators.com slash podcast. Brooks and I are now pleased to be joined with a return guest, TSN Hockey Insider and Senior NHL Columnist for The Athletic, Pierre Lebrun. Pierre, thanks for doing this. Hey, no worries. Good to be back. Thanks for having me on, guys. Happy to do it. I think in years past, we've talked to you around the NHL trade deadline. We did not do that this season, but if we had, I mean, wow, what a different conversation we likely would have had involving the National Predators two months ago than the one that we're having right now with only just a few days left in the regular season. I'm curious from, from your perspective and from your, you know, your national insight, what would you make of the way that their year has turned around specifically in, you know, the last seven to nine weeks? Yeah, it's it, it, certainly a team that we viewed as sellers for a while that uh, that took themselves off the market <laughs> with their plays. <laughs> and uh, but I do think playing closer to the way that we view them, um, you know, just a real disappointing start, and then coming back to where they should be as a team. I mean, I I had them pegged as a playoff team before the season, but. For a, for a while there, putting GM David Poyle in a really tough spot. And it's the last place you ever want to be is if you're not sure if you're a buyer or a seller because it makes diff- decisions very difficult. And, and But the way they played heading into the deadline made it easier by signaling to him that they had figured things out and he didn't have to dismantle them. And, and to be honest, I mean, I, really, I think Mikel Granlin was the only real decision that needed attention in the moment because his deal expires at the end of the year and you know there's a chance that he walks away and you get nothing for him if you don't resign him but otherwise all the other roster decisions to me are still decisions you can make after the playoffs depending on how the playoffs go and how play you know the performance of certain players and certainly Matthias Ekholm is chief among those decisions you know do you bring him back on an extension which I would think the Predators would want to but 
if, if, if you can't sign him to an extension, I don't know that you want to allow him to enter next season on an expiring deal either. So it probably forces a decision either way come this summer, but that's okay. You got lots of time to make that decision. Pierre, and, and you touched on it, but as far as, for the most part, standing still at the deadline, of course, they, the Preds do acquire Eric and Branson from Ottawa. But other than that, to not put anyone out, do, do you see it as a decision to say, okay, this team, of course, on the verge of making the playoffs, but do you see it as saying, okay, we now we have to make the playoffs, or if we don't make the playoffs, then we made the wrong decision? How do you see the decision that David Poyle did decide to essentially not really do much of anything and, and keep his team together? Do you think that was ultimately the right decision, or are we still weeks or months away from knowing that? Yeah, you don't know that yet. <laughs> it depends on the, you know, that. Predators get in to begin with and, you know, see how far they go. But, you know, it, it's not just about deciding whether you're selling or not. It's not that simple. I mean, from talking to GMs over the years, and for sure David Poyle would have been in this camp here. It, it, it's also what are, you know, I don't think David Poyle ever phoned teams leading up to April 12th and said, stop calling me. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in. We're not selling. I don't think that ever happened. I think, I think mm-hmm. in fact, what happened is keep calling if someone knocks me over, you know, if someone had offered David Poyle a, a first-round pick and a, and a prospect for Mikhail Granlin, my guess is he would have traded him. But I think my sense is that from talking to other teams that were that were checking in on Nashville, that there was a very high price put there, which is kind of Nashville's way at the end of saying, we're not selling, but if you're going to, you know, lose your mind, then... <laughs> you know, maybe maybe we will make a deal. And I think that's how ultimately David Poyle approached the deadline. Pierre, allow me to follow up on one thing. You mentioned Eckholm going into next year with one year left on his deal. Philip Forsberg will be doing the same thing. Do you think the mindset should be similar there too to potentially For sure. yeah, to go ahead and resign? Okay. Yeah, especially because those guys are core guys and, you know, um, I think it forces a decision, a crossroads moment for both players and for the team. You know, are we, are we, you know, are we hanging, staying together? Or are we, are we doing a new deal? I feel like, you know, I think it was Ryan Ellis who signed a year out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in that exact way. And, and the sense was that the Predators were not going to go very deep into the start of the season with Ryan Ellis still in an expiring deal. And I think that's how they're going to approach Echoman and, and Borsworth. But again, much will also depend on how these playoffs go. You know, do you get swept in the first round or do you produce an upset? You know, how you feel about those players and about the team's performance. I always like to say the playoffs have a way of actually really forcing the narrative on your offseason as opposed to trying to figure that out now before the playoffs even started. Well, I want to touch on one of, if not the player that has helped this turnaround in, in Yusei Saros and, I, probably too little, too late, or at least too late to get into the Vesna conversation. But I mean, he truly has, you know, just every night been what's gotten this team back into the playoff hunt. Um, what, what have you thought about him so far? Yeah, spectacular and good for him because really this has to be the year where he fully erased any doubts that he could be the guy. I mean, uh, uh, you know, so um, he probably had more pressure on him that way than any other player in the Predators franchise in my mind. Uh, in the Predators organization, and he's answered 
in flying colors. Um, and I che- kind of cheer for him because he's five foot ten, and and <laughs> he kind of goes against the grain of of every other goalie, you know, seemingly every goalie prospect having to be six foot two or, 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 or taller. And, uh, and he's showing that there, that, uh, greatness can come in different ways. So that's just a personal note, but, um, yeah, no, I, and, and I think that, you know, it'd be interesting if general managers who vote on the Desna trophy have taken stock into his performance. I mean, I, I don't know that he, you know, would be the number one guy on my ballot, but he's certainly be in the conversation there with, Vasilevsky and Marc Andre Fleury and and so on. So, um, you know that that's a terrific development, if you will, for the Predators because regardless of how they continue to proceed to you know maybe transition this roster moving forward, to know and feel that you found your next number one after all the great years of Pekarene, uh, and and having it happen finally in the in the manner in which you thought, which is you know Saros taking it from his mentor. Uh, is pretty sweet deal because it it often doesn't happen that way. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, not everyone gets to become a number one and, and, and deliver on that, but it certainly feels to me like he has. Pierre, we actually saw a rival beat writer, Mark Lazarus of the Chicago Blackhawks, who covers them for the athletic throw out probably a week or so ago that maybe UC Soros should be considered for the Hart Trophy as well. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to win it, but maybe he should be on some ballots. Would you agree with that, especially with the language that it's the player judged to be most valuable to their team? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I happen to vote on the Hart Trophy and and you put down five names. Uh, I don't think it's out of the question that he might end up being one of the five on my ballot. I haven't decided for sure yet, so don't. Don't, don't make me commit to that yet, but I think he's going to be a name that I'm going to study closely when I do it. Uh, I will also say that we're basically trying to figure out all the names except for number one, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because Connor McDavid is going to win a heart trophy and it's, uh, without any contest. I mean, it, it is beyond ridiculous what Connor McDavid is doing this year, the kind of offensive production that we haven't seen since the eighties and nineties in the national hockey league. But, um, you know, it, it would no doubt mean a lot to Saros to have to be a finalist, I would think. And, and you know, I think he does, you know, I think his name is in the conversation. Hmm. We're speaking with Pierre Lebrun. He's the TSN Hockey Insider and Senior NHL columnist for The Athletic. Um, I, I want to touch on the Stanley Cup playoffs that are suddenly right around the corner. We've heard from the United States perspective, probably May 15th or or so that we will go ahead and, you know, start those. And suddenly almost all the playoff berths have been finalized, even though we still have a few games to go. So as we look on it right now, I mean, to you, who are the favorites, who, who are the dark horses as we're, you know, in theory about to embark on, you know, what we're so accustomed to the seven game series and all of that. Yeah, I mean, my cup pick would be Colorado if they can get healthy, and they're not healthy right now. So the next couple of weeks, while the games may be meaningless in terms of Colorado not having much to play for, are important in terms of the Avalanche getting their roster intact. So that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. If if they're healthy, I like them a ton. That division has suddenly gotten a lot tougher. I mean, it used to be we looked at Vegas and Colorado and just assumed they were going to play in the second round. But Minnesota has become a mm-hmm. real force in the second half. Uh, they had beaten the Golden Knights five in a row before Vegas finally got them the other night. But um, 
so so that on, on that side, that's certainly. I think Carolina in the East is uh, well, in the East uh, in, in your division, the Central. I say the East. Uh, so confusing this year with the new division. Hey, I, I don't know what conference. I don't, Brooks and I were talking about the other day. I was like, are, are there conferences anymore? Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. In fact, and, and that's a relevant point because when we get to the Final Four, uh-huh. first of all, there are no more conference finals for this year. It's the league semifinals, and they reset it by going one against four, two against three, based on regular season records, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could have really strange semifinals. I mean, you could have a, you know, a Colorado, you know, playing a Toronto in a semifinal, uh, you know, from two different parts of the continent. Uh, so that, that is unique this year as well. But yeah, I, I would say if you force me to pick a cup final right now, and again, it may end up that they have to play in the semis, but I like Carolina and Colorado probably the best. Pierre, you also co-host a podcast with another friend of the show, Scott Burnside, the Two Man Advantage podcast, and we know you had NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly on recently. Not to give everything away, because we want our listeners invite them to go check out your show as well. But what were some of the things that you learned from the Deputy Commissioner, and what are some of the more pressing issues uh, around hockey for the NHL right now? Do you think? Yeah, so some interesting updates. Uh, one was that uh, he was working to finalize uh, new documentation to loosen the COVID protocols for players on the tw- on the 24 U.S. based teams uh, that are fully vaccinated or that fully vaccinated to a certain level, which we've seen in other sports, right? So that would make life a little easier for players on those teams in terms of being able to you know, go out to restaurants and do different things instead of sort of living in the movable bubble that they've been living in most of the year. So that'll be well received. And Daly said, if, if all goes well, those loosened protocols will go to go into effect for the first round of playoffs. So uh, really good news for the players on the 24 U.S. teams. Uh, I would say probably, probably looking upon that in a very envious manner are the players on the seven Canadian teams who would not be getting that uh, that deal because, of course, Canada is behind in, uh, in, in vaccination right now, and the, none of the Canadian players have been vaccinated, to my knowledge. So so different worlds there. Um, the other thing from Bill Daly that I thought was, you know, a little worrisome was that he still doesn't – the league still hasn't made much ground, uh, covered much ground with the International Olympic Committee on, on an Olympic deal for Beijing next mm-hmm. year. And – as Daly said, you know, kind of have to know this month what the heck's going on with that because mm. NHL has to mm-hmm. put out a schedule for next season. You know, usually that schedule is out in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, so time is of the essence on the Olympic side of things. And boy, there'd be a lot of disappointed NHL stars if that doesn't come to fruition. Let's keep an eye on that. I still think it'll get done. But the point here is that I know the I think the league is sensitive that the IOC is busy trying to figure out if they can pull off the summer games in a few weeks mm-hmm. in July. But at the same time, uh, they've got to turn to their attention to the NHL here soon. A final question before we let you go, and it sounds like the Olympics will be a big part of it, but looking ahead to this 21-22 season, the sense of normalcy, that's a term you know we, we throw around a lot. What do you expect for that coming year? What, what has the NHL learned this year? What, you know, what might we look like for what we would assume is an 82-game season and more of those traditional things that we've seen coming up? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, certainly going back to the to the same divisions that we were used to before, um, you know, uh, they're hoping to start the season around October 12th. Uh, there's talk of having an all-star game, even if there is the Olympics, although that's not determined for sure. Um, and, and I think w- what you're going to see is that while there may be change in the way that the schedule works over time, not really probably for next year, I think they want to just get through next year uh, when, when we get Seattle into the mix and then start figuring out if there are different ways to, to have the schedule. One note about next year, by the way, is Arizona will move from the Pacific to the Central, um, which you guys, I'm sure, know, and uh, to make room for Seattle in the Pacific. So a new team in the Central Division. Pierre, thanks for doing this. All, always fun. And like we said, glad from a Nashville perspective, at least, that we got to talk to you now rather than a few months ago when maybe the conversation would have been a, a little bit different. <laughs> right. <laughs> a lot more positive. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Up next, we look a little further into Yusei Saros and the season that he's had and ask the question if he deserves to be included at the upcoming NHL Awards. That's all next on the Bread's Official Podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Just you and me in the light of the screen and its own chance. I keep staring at three yards on my phone. Wanna know your thoughts before they're gone. I'm hanging on the words you're searching for. We could just say it now. Friends official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford. On ESPN 102.5, the game. For more about the show, to rate, subscribe, listen to past episodes, NashvillePredators.com slash podcast. For Brooks, I'm Thomas. Brooks, it's time for you to say it now and tell us why you say Saros deserves NHL award consideration. I am said conversation. I think that works too. But NHL award consideration after the stretch, especially in the last couple months he's had. No three dots on my phone. He's he's made his case. He has he's made got, his he's case. Got tw- <laughs> he's sending you highlights. Well, sp- by the way, that Matt Kearney song, which is now available, it was and then it wasn't, and now it is. <laughs> yes, I asked for it to be played last week because I had enjoyed it that week on Apple Music. And it's funny that I was in this space, too, because traditionally on social media, he'll make a big deal. You know, song drops Thursday night at 11 central time, you know, so midnight going into Friday for those on the eastern time zone. He's like, here it comes and he'll do teasers and all that. And the song just dropped. I just woke up to the notification. Hey, more music is available from Matt Carney's upcoming album. I was pumped. And I was like, wow, look at that. Like he did like a whole strategy of like sometimes he promotes it. This time he just subtly did it. No, from what I can tell, Apple Music dropped it too soon. So they took it back on Thursday of last week because of that same day he posted, hey, I'm going to drop a new song. And I was like, wow, I'm going to get another new song. No, he actually was trying to debut Say It Now. So they took it back. They have now given it back. And now we play it for you. It was just a nice little early present. And Say I It Now. I mean, very- now he's saying it now, but. I well, I'm also very excited to use Apple Music to gain uh, access to Coldplay's new song on Friday. My favorite band. We got a new single, probably an album. Finally, exciting times. You are very exciting excited. times in the music world. Exciting times in the hockey world too. As UC Saros, he's won 20 games in a 56 game season, and he was injured a whole heck of a lot of time. He's won 20 games. Uh, that was during the one nothing victory against Dallas. 
and his third shutout of the season, 14th of his NHL career, the most among league goaltenders his age or younger. And you heard us mention this with Pierre as, as maybe he'll get some heart trophy consideration too, because it's important to mention the wording on that, because I think a lot of people think that the heart trophy goes to the NHL MVP, which in a way it does. And Pierre's right. I mean, Connor McDavid's going to win it and it's not going to be close, <laughs> but technically the language is, the player judged to be most valuable to his team. Predators would not be here without UC Saros, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. For, for all the production that they've gotten from everyone else, and I'll mention that in just a minute, it's it's juice. I mean, it is the reason that the Predators are where they are. Entering Wednesday's game, among NHL goaltenders who have played in at least 25 games, Saros is third in save percentage, tied for fifth in shutouts, sixth in wins, tied for sixth in goals against average. He leads NHL goalies in even strength save percentage. He's got a ton of analytics that are off the charts. And maybe he did come into the conversation too late, but he at least deserves consideration from NHL general managers who vote on the Vezina Trophy as the league's best goaltender. He just simply deserves to be in that conversation right now. A quick note on why Pierre Lebrun says Connor McDavid's going to win this in a landslide. Because if you are like me, I truly have not watched many of the North Division games. I feel like when I am watching hockey that doesn't involve the Preds, it's somebody else in the Central Division that I'm trying to keep tabs on. So maybe maybe you don't know exactly what he's put together this year. For context, the Predators franchise record for points in a season, Paul Correa, 85. So 85 points in a season. He's the only Preds player to average more than a point per game across a regular season. A normal season, I suppose I should say, 82 games. Connor McDavid, as we record, already has 93 points. And I'm not sure you're familiar with this. He's only played 51 games. So he virtually has two points per game. So he has beaten the Predators franchise record for points in 51 games so in 31 fewer games he has been able to accomplish this and oh by the way he's only 24 years old and shows no signs of slowing down so this was not a segment about Connor mcdavid but just in case you missed it he's probably going to have a 100 point season in a 56 game season it's worth mentioning we would have seen him three times yeah, this exactly. season already and yeah it's 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 insane as pierre said we're we're seeing numbers from him that have not been seen since the 70s and the 80s. It, it's just unreal right now. So congratulations to Connor McDavid on his heart trophy. <laughs> yes, for your, and for sure the Art Ross as well. Um, yes. One other note to touch on now that the Predators are getting healthy, I still think that a moment or a storyline that will define this season is the youth movement. And we talked about that, you and I did on this show. We wrote about it leading up into the year. And then when Ellie Tolvanen, Philip Tomasino, other names like that, Alex Carrier, did not make the roster um, out of training camp, in part because Mikhail Granlin, Eric Holla, two of those guys were signed very late before the season, it was like, oh, is the youth movement on pause? Are we not going to see it? It happened out of necessity. And then a lot of those rookies did not give up their spots after the injuries led them to get into the lineup. I'm thinking of Carrier specifically. It's kind of funny to think. I forget even sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ellie Tolvanen, like, wasn't here the whole time. Like, he didn't play the beginning of the season. And you've seen that maturation throughout the season. I I would argue in his first few games, it was like, okay, is it still not time yet? Is he still really ready for this? We were having conversations with him, with Coach Hines, with his teammates. How is he on the defensive side of the game? Is he physical enough? Is he protecting the puck enough? Like, we saw a couple flashes on some power play goals 
I've touched on this in past episodes, at a point before he was injured, Tolvin was leading NHL rookies in hits. So certainly has rounded out his game a bit more. I think Alex Carrier in particular in as well to Tolvin. And I mean, he's not giving up his spot in the lineup anytime soon. But that said, the Predators lead the NHL in rookies used this season with 12. They've used 15 defensemen so far this season. By the way, you start six on a normal basis. Normally without a, without a taxi squad and injuries, I mean, even when the Predators in years past would have eight defensemen on a roster, that was rare. A lot of teams will only have seven. To have eight was a rarity. They played 15 of them, which is tied for the NHL most. And then, oh, by the way, a bit of a Nashville staple, I would say, they have 17 players with at least 10 points this year. That is tied for third and just one player behind the leaders in Minnesota and Pittsburgh. So if they get an 18th player to get to 10 points, they could tie them in that. So that's just how Nashville hockey works. We, we've talked a lot of times about what Coach Hines has done, especially on the forecheck, especially on the way the transition play has worked to make Nashville a lot more competitive. And now we sit right there on the cusp of their seventh consecutive postseason berth, and it looks like a first-round Stanley Cup playoffs matchup with the Carolina Hurricanes. Stats like that, we had a conversation on the plane about that headed to Columbus. You never know what's going to come up on an airplane and, and some pretty cool stats. Again, kind of to, as we mentioned, to, to wrap in a way the final episode of the regular season, the Predators' regular season will be defined in those two ways, at least for sure. One, the play of UC Soros. And then two, the rookie stepping up and the depth as well. Uh, certainly, we knew it was going to be a unique season. I don't think the Predators ever imagined that they would use 12 rookies or 15 defensemen or 35 skaters for that matter. Mm. But here we are. Here we are. And here we are as we conclude this third segment looking ahead to the fourth on the Preds Official Podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford. We answer your Twitter questions coming up on ESPN 1025 The Game. DLP, Fred's official podcast presented by Two Rivers Ford on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Producer Max alongside me, Thomas, and he, Brooks. <laughs> Is that proper grammar? I, I don't know. Anyway, we're back alongside for segment four of the show to answer some of your Twitter questions and reopen the discussion we had, I think, two episodes ago, if my memory serves me right, which it sometimes does, it sometimes does not. And that is looking at what a potential Game 1 lineup could look like or ideally could look like for Nashville now that it appears they might be getting healthy at the right time. Brooks, I'll toss you a question from Papa Pierogi. I think I said that right. I, I could go for some pierogies right now. I know you could. If the Preds clinch a playoff spot, is that enough lightning in a bottle to go the distance? How would you classify this resilient season? Our co-producer or executive producer, Kevin Wilson, commented, should it actually be hurricane in a bottle rather than lightning in a bottle since that is the very likely playoff opponent? It's a good question yes. to be asked. Oh, it's a great question. And Papa Pierogi, loyal listener, threw this in there just on his own, wasn't asked. And we always appreciate that. And, I mean, I think that is honestly – the question and and something that has come up recently and not to go back to our friend Matthias Eckholm, but he also mentioned this in Columbus, uh, just in, in speaking on how tight and close knit this team has become this season. And I think the Predators would readily admit that maybe they spent a couple of years too many looking back at 2017 and trying to live off of that momentum and 
just ride the wave that that was. And and players have said that, you know, we, that that's been so long ago. They've said that in years past and Matthias Ekholm kind of brought it up the other day as to say, you know, I, I don't want to make comparisons because that was a totally different year, but you can't ignore the fact that there are similarities here to that 2017 season. The Predators barely got into the playoffs. And of course they faced the top ranked Chicago Blackhawks, the one versus the eight seed in the West. And that Predators team wasn't the most offensively gifted. They weren't the most skilled. They weren't the the biggest or the fastest, but they were tenacious and they were great. And they were hard to play against. And that's what this Predators team, that's what their identity wanted to be. So there are similarities there. And if you're asking, is would that be enough to go the distance? Who knows? I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. pure classic example of, yeah, you get in as the eighth seed and you go to the Stanley Cup final. You get in as the one seed and you lose in the second round a, 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 in a game seven. I mean, there's yeah. hockey's just so unpredictable in that way. But I think we'll have and, – and he finishes by saying, how would you classify this resilient season? At this point, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I – for me, the real question will be how does the narrative play out and how does that answer maybe change in the weeks and months to come? Do you Because I think right now you're looking at it and saying, oh, my goodness, what an amazing turnaround – you know, can you believe it when in actuality that fourth and final spot in the central division, I think is where a lot of people would have picked the predators to begin with this season. Yeah. So, you know, you you can make the argument, Oh my gosh, the predators made it so much harder on themselves, but you've got to appreciate what they've been able to do here. Uh, As you mentioned earlier, I mean, a 2% chance to make the playoffs just two months ago. And now here they are on the verge of clinching. So whether or not they even clinch, I mean, hopefully they will in the next couple of days. Yeah. But we'll have a much better answer to classifying how this season ultimately goes down. Because no matter what happens, there's some great things that have come of it. There's some not so great things that have come of it. And to me, that'll be just a fascinating narrative of how does it change in the offseason going into next season. Perhaps this shows we've gotten a little bit better at podcasting over the last few years of doing this show. That's exactly what I wanted to touch on because I think a lot of well, I I hope so because our first episode was garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, (laughs) I think you can go ahead and ask yourself a lot of those questions. Number one, the Coach Hines system, his experience, what he's brought to the Predators. I think all of us would say earlier on in the season we were like, "Is this right? Is this working? Is he the right man for this job that should have taken over for Peter Laviolette?" Ask yourself that question, number one. Do you believe in what he's been able to do? Do you believe that what has been accomplished over the last two months, that it is working, that it is a recipe that's enough for success, that it's something you want to see going forward? Because the next question is, if it is, in theory, you could see that sooner next year. You don't have to wait till the season's half over before his team turns it on. Perhaps this recipe for success continues to work, and you continue this pace of winning 65-70% of your games you do that over 82, you're one of the top teams in your division. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. So that's question one. Question two is, of course, what happens in this playoffs? If you lose in the first round, was it worth it? Was it enough? Did you see enough? Do you believe enough? Did you keep the group together? All of those things that Pierre Lebron was hinting at a bit. And question three is, what do you take stock in from this season? It's going to be different than any other one. Primarily, 
almost all the opponents that you're going to play next year are not the ones that you played this year, <laughs> right? So do you think that this level of play over the last couple months, does that match up better? Does that get you more points when you're back to playing St. Louis and Minnesota and all those teams and now Arizona that you usually play all the time outside of this weird year where you just happen to play seven other other teams eight times. Like, that's never going to happen again. And, mm-hmm. yes, I think we've all learned Carolina and Tampa Bay and most likely Florida, although they're a little bit closer, they were better than Nashville this year, and they should have been ranked above them, and Nashville deserves where they are in fourth place, as you said. But that's super weird. You were only playing divisional opponents and, and all of those things. Who knows how to say how this method of how you're playing, these new rookies that you've discovered, this new lineup look, how does it look in a new division? So even if you were, for example, to lose in the first round, do you still believe enough in what you've seen over the last eight to ten weeks that you want to try it again next year? I think that's a good question. I think, as Pierre said as well, the Predators have more questions this offseason than you might have thought with Eckholm, with Forsberg, with Mikhail Granlund suddenly, who has been one of their best players, and he almost wasn't even on the roster this year, does he get re-signed? Eric Halla only assumed, I think at the time, to be a one-year deal, to be a replacement because he came in at a lower price because of the flat cap. Do you want him around? What he's done the last week, for example, do you want more of that? Do you want a rookie to take his spot? So I think those are the questions to be asked. I think you and I know this. This is our seventh season in the NHL it always gets defined by the playoffs, right? I mean, even sitting here right now, you can try to remember the 17-18 season as the President's Trophy year and everything went right and all the recipe and ingredients were there to be followed. But you lost in the second round, and it's always, oh, yeah, that time we lost to the Jets in Game 7 at home. And conversely, 2017, nobody remembers that the Predators may or may not have made the playoffs a few weeks out. It's the Stanley Cup final year. So, mm-hmm. That's what will define it, and we'll hopefully get that answer in the coming um, weeks with a Stanley Cup playoffs again, we think, starting May 15th or, or somewhere around that weekend. The Predators need two points to be able to get there, and I think that's what will define it. Um, as we go, because I promised you some lineup chatter, I still think I'd like to see Forsberg, Johansson, Tolvanen on the first line. I'd like to see Victor Arvidsson up in the top six, if possible, even as good as Luke Cunnan has been maybe Yarn, Croak, Greenland, and Arvidsson on that second line. My question will be, and I know I touched on maybe a lineup looking differently for game one than game two, is if you're playing the Hurricanes, how much does what your bottom line has done, the herd line of Trinan, Sissons, and Janot, what have they done Throughout this season, do you think that works against the Hurricanes as well? Or do you want to go more team speed and put a Rocco Grimaldi back in the lineup or, or a Nick Cousins or something like that? I think that is the defining question. I think Hala uh, is on your third line for sure. And then my lineup, I'm putting Cun in there too. Is it Duchesne? Maybe. And then that fourth line is the whole question. They have been the driving force, the tone setter for the Nashville Predators the last couple months. I mean, Coach Hines went on a string of starting them almost every game. Is that what he wants to do against the Carolina Hurricanes as well? Yeah, I mean, maybe, probably, but we'll see how that lines up. That impacts for me the fourth line of whether a Cousins or, or somebody like that or a Grimaldi are in the lineup. Defense, I go Yossi Ellis, Ekholm Carey like we have right now. Maybe Borvietsky Fabro or Benning Fabro would be my pick. And then, as we touched on segment three, you say Saros, your game one starter. That was not a thing officially as of one year ago. We were not officially sure who the game one started would be for the Preds. It's certainly number 74 this year. 
Let's hope the Preds wrap this up. Let's hope that we're able to be able to get the playoff berth set even before the Saturday and Monday games so we can get Mr. Pecorine in the net at least one more time for this season. That's my personal vote. With that, send us home. That's a good point. Coach Thomas has spoken. And one more small, <laughs> quick correction. The entire first episode was not garbage. I think the P.K. Subin interview was pretty good. Yeah. But other than that, 130 episodes later, no longer garbage. There you go. All right. For Brooks Braden, follow him on Twitter at Brooks Braden. Brooks.Braden is the spot to be on Instagram. I'm at Tommy Willis on Twitter. Make sure you're following at Preds NHL. Preds Pride Day. It is this coming Friday, May the 7th, depending on when you're listening to it. It kicks off Smashville Fan Appreciation Week. The biggest and most valuable set of giveaways. Shirts off our backs. That means game-worn jerseys. The Smashville at home packs. Reverse retro stuff. Ooh, maybe a few tickets in there as well. NashPress.com is the place to be for winning those sweepstakes. Or at President NHL, as I said. Thanks to Pierre Lebrun for joining this week on the POP. Make sure you rate, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate it. We'll see you in the playoffs.